Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. to another episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Um, today's guest I'm super, super, super excited about. I think it was about five years ago, I came across a video of this guest doing a fake bake, which is essentially where she got a cake from the shop that she had to take to a bake sale or whatever, and she just basically roughed it up a bit, <laughs> made it look crap, and was going to carry it off as her own. And I instantly fell in love with this person. She has dispelled the myth of uh, parenting perfection for me, and she is passionate about Flexipil and everything that she does. It is the amazing Anna Whitehouse, aka Mother Bugger. Can you be my PR, please? <laughs> I just need to wake up to that every morning, please. <laughs> Believe in yourself. Talk to me about your childhood. Where did you grow up? So I was born in Amsterdam, mm. Holland, and Netherlands. And we moved to Leighton Buzzard. It went to this great little state school called um, Lindslade Lower School. Lived in a little cul-de-sac nearby the school. So that was it, really. And then... Um, and you had a sister as well? Yes, got a sister. We didn't get on at all for a very long time. 
and I don't know whether you have this with your siblings, but the point where we started getting on was I was like 16 mm. and was going out, starting to brave clubs like Ritzy and um, Infernos. And she was um, at home. She's five years between us and she had a goofy cap on and was like really into um, Pogs. Do you remember Pogs? <laughs> yeah. And I got home one day and my mum was like, we've got something very serious to talk to you about. And I was like, oh, what is it? And she says, Karen has been caught with marijuana on her. So she's going to be grounded for a month. And I just was thinking back and I was like, oh God, I borrowed a bag of hers to go out. And I zipped a spliff into the pocket of this bag and gave it back to her without thinking. And we sat down at this table and I looked at my sister and was like, why are you not dobbing me in? You know, like I looked yeah, at her yeah, yeah. and I looked at her and she just kept going, like looking at me going, it's fine, it's fine. Oh and she was God. like 11 or 12. Mainly like, I'm like, my parents, why did you think the 12 year old wearing a goofy cap <laughs> would be like smoking marijuana whilst watching like Nickelodeon kids? <laughs> and I would be the, well, the one that was actually uh, doing it. And I talked to her afterwards and I said, why did you not dob me in? And she's like, well, you know, I like don't go out. So it's not going to affect me, is it? And I was oh. like, oh, damn it. You're a better person than me. You're a much better person than me. <laughs> and that was when we started getting on really really, really getting on because I was like okay we've got many differences but like you're just a really good kid and what did you think about your own sort of looking to the future did you want a family like what kind of mum did you think you were going to be funnily enough I started thinking about wanting a family when so I was trained to be a lawyer and I was going to be yeah, that was my career. So I did law, studied law. Was I mean, go... I always knew you were clever. <laughs> well, but that's like, are the level clever? Not really. Well, my, my dad, he's a lawyer. So right. he he was kind of quite like, this is a safe career where you're mm -hmm. going to, it's quite a vocational profession. And I was doing my mini pupillage at Devereux Chambers on Chancery Lane. And I was very excited. I was like, right, I want to be a barrister. This is where I want things to go. And I remember getting there and just seeing the optics were so off. Like... The QC, who was at the chambers, his son was the pupil. So it was a bit like, okay, so you basically have to be the son of the QC to get in right. here. That pattern was repeated across different chambers at the time that I was doing my mini pupillage. And then I sort of just started thinking, where are the women? I was like, where are the women post 30? There seemed to be women up to 30. And then it felt like there was a drop off the cliff. Right. And I went back to my dad and was like, yeah, I want this as a career, but what? about having children like I want kids and I was like 21 at the time and it's mad to think that my thoughts of my career and what was possible and what wasn't possible were being shifted at that point mm. and that was when I left to study journalism because I thought I can freelance there yeah. around childcare and that was a 21 year old decision and I wanted to be a lawyer but I curtailed my own career based on what I saw as quite clear barriers, regardless of what people were saying. You know, the law is incredibly inclusive and diverse. And it's, it's not. I can't see anyone. <laughs> I can't see the women. And since I've spoken quite openly about this, I've had the bar get in touch and say, you know, things have changed hugely since oh, really? then. And then I'll put that post up and say, well, the bar have been in touch and things have changed hugely. And then thousands of people will message going, they haven't. It's exactly the same. <laughs> so it's, you know, that disconnect between what's being said and what's being done and asking about whether I wanted a family I absolutely did but I knew always I wanted a career and a family yeah. and I couldn't 
quite see how I was going to get there with the, the job that I wanted to do. So I started reporting on, I mean, that's when I went to Practical Caravan magazine. So <laughs> it was like this big moment where my family were like, oh, you're not a lawyer anymore. Where are you going to work? I'm going to be a journalist. What do you work on? Practical Caravan magazine. I'm the tow bar expert, but I have aspirations of being on Practical Motorhome. And then, who knows, Horticulture Week might welcome me in. Uh, so it was a bit of a like tow U-turn. bar expert. Was, Is that an actual job? It was a job. Yeah, I Is was there more than one type of tow bar. There is an abundance of tow bars. <gasps> don't get don't get me started, G, because I know more than I should uh, on this. So you, where did you meet Matt? Were you on Perfect Caravan? Oh, darling, it wasn't Perfect Caravan. <laughs> was it? it was Practical, practical Caravan. Sorry, Perfect Caravan would have been like the luxury version. And the thing that Matt and I were questioning when I met him was, he was like. Do you think there's ever an impractical caravan? You know, like it's quite a bold title, isn't it? Like practical caravan. Like where is its like you know dark competitor sibling? Like impractical caravan. It's just this like heap on the side of the M25 with no wheels. Like I am the editor of Impractical Caravan. Here we are. Um, Matt and I met. He was on Human Resources magazine, right? And I was on Horticulture Week at oh, this point. Moved. I you'd had moved on. I had moved on quite significantly. I was the news writer, and I was reporting on stories. Like I'd ring up like Sid Frank up the road. Thinks your slug pellets are shit. What do you think? He'd be like, he's a fucking bastard. <laughs> I'd be like, uh, my editor was called Matthew Appleby, which has a lovely Sylvania nice. family's vibe mm. to it. And I'd be like, Matthew, I've got the lead story. Sid thinks <laughs> Frank's slug pellets are shit. <laughs> bash it out there it would be so uh, yeah as you know my parents had great aspirations for me being this kind of big barrister and I was coming up how's the job going darling they would sort of mum and the village would be like um, so uh, yeah Anna's a reporter she's a reporter on what she's a reporter she's just a report she reports on the things on the things she says the things she knows Love how to spell fuchsia um, and Matt did and I did they read there. your work Dad cut out, bless him, he cut out clippings Aww. of things. Like when I wrote about, I worked a freelance for Print Week magazine as well. And I wrote my first big feature, 500 word feature on something. And to this day, I remember it specifically called the Fuji Luxel V6 Violet Plate Setter. Whoa. Yeah, it's still there. That was my first what feature. What even is that? I don't know, but I, did you know at the time? It's the joy of being a reporter. <laughs> you just ask people what the things are. You're like, "What is the plate setter? How does she work?" And it was definitely a she. And so, yeah, my d- mum and dad like they did used to print things out and they were very proud, etc. But I met Matt, and he was a reporter on Human Resources magazine, which uh-huh. was like up there, yeah, big okay. guns. And he was smoking a fag out back because that was the nineties. Was it the 90s or the noughties? It was when FHM was big, you know, and everyone yeah, was a lad. Yeah, okay. And High Street Honey was a thing. And there was just undertones of me too to it all. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, those times. <laughs> those times. Uh, now Matt is an ally, very clear ally. Back in the day, he was a bit more like lads. And my friend Lisa was like, did you see that guy out back smoking a fag? God, he's fit. I was like, is he? You know when someone else qualifies it? Like, I don't think. I'll have a look now. Is he? I had a look and I was like, He's all right. He'll do. I was doing a charity trip with a friend to the Arctic randomly. And I put it on our internal server. We're raising money. And Matt slid into the equivalent of my DMs. There there was no Instagram back then. But he emailed me going, hi, I'm Matt. I'm a reporter on Human Resources magazine. I know about icebreaking drills. I've just been to Norway. And I wondered if you'd like some information on that. And I was just like... (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have that. I'll have that. So he officially broke the ice. Um, and then we just went for a pint and I face planted him. And it's been a 13 years ever since. Wow. Yeah. And it got pretty serious quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Fair to say. Yeah. We're fairly swiftly into it. Yeah. And you found out you were pregnant about a month and a half in? Yeah. So we met at uh, Haymarket where we were working. And I kind of was like, you're, you're the one. You know, those heady oxytocin fueled first few months where it's like, this is it. This is great. Life is brilliant. And in that time, I got pregnant and we'd only known each other for a month. In that time, too, he had been offered a job in Dubai as a reporter over there on a travel magazine, which, as you can understand from the B2B HR magazine world, that was a big pull. And he, before we'd found out I was pregnant, he had said, would you like to come with me? Absolutely hammered at four in the morning. (laughs) You know, so he was just like, you should come. Like, it's so calm. And actually, I so should. Such a great idea. And then woke up the next morning and both of us just so British that we, we didn't want to go back on the promise, but both feeling it was potentially a very bad time to make such life-changing decisions. Quite soon, yeah. And so at that point, my parents, you know, had just broken because I'd rang them up saying, so you haven't met him yet, but this guy's amazing and he's moving to Dubai and I'm going to go with him. And we booked our tickets that week. Really? Yeah, we'd known each other. We worked out 48 days. And I'd gone out with my previous boyfriend for seven years. And Matt had gone out with his previous girlfriend for six years. Oh, my God. Uh, And it was so, it was like this kind of rip the plaster off. And just as we bought our tickets, I found out I was pregnant. And it was this coming together of so many things in that moment of extreme extraordinary love it was a true love story at that point Mm. it was this isn't a whim this isn't just oh let's see how it goes it was this is I mean you've seen his Celtic brow (laughs) you you can't not fall for that and um, I haven't but (laughs) just just as an FYI just just inappropriate if I had yeah (laughs) but it's there yeah it's beckoning um his Aberdonian (laughs) granite he's just um a really good man Mm. and I think um We found out I was pregnant and at that point, and this is something that was quite difficult to talk about in the book, and we really wrangled with discussing it, was at that point, so much was going on. I was 24. We were moving to a Muslim state where you can be pregnant outside of marriage. So it was this really difficult situation to be in. And at that time, uh, we made the decision to have an abortion. I was distanced from it, if I'm being really brutally honest, in a way that makes me feel quite sick looking back. Um, I was emotionally and physically distanced from it. It was, I made the appointment and then we were going to move away together and then we were going to live our lives. And it got to the day of the abortion uh, appointment and I, um, in the morning, just started cramping and bleeding. I remember sitting at my desk just thinking, you know, what's going on. I'd never Mm. experienced pregnancy. I'd never experienced anything around that. And I started manically Googling, which I think a lot of us do in panic situations. And the internet is not our friend in those such circumstances. Mm -hmm. I realized I was actually miscarrying. So this huge rush of um, recognition that it wasn't my decision to make, it wasn't my decision 
to decide whether or not to go forward with that pregnancy or not. It was something much bigger. And in a space of, I could honestly say, 30 seconds, I went from not being connected to that pregnancy to wanting it so very much and realising I was a mother and realising I had made a very flippant decision about Mm -hmm. something that I wasn't connected to. And it made me feel incredibly empty knowing how much in that second, in that really traumatic twist of thought and emotion... I wanted this child and I rang Matt up and said, I'm going into A&E, I've started miscarrying and I've started realising what it is we're actually making a decision over. And that's when I started feeling quite sick about the process and my... And I'm not saying this against anybody who makes that decision. You know, it is down to absolutely everybody's individual circumstances, decision. It's Mm -hmm. your body, your decision. And uh, we miscarried. I remember being on the maternity ward. It was just like this dark chamber of pregnant women walking past and scans. And I think nothing can prepare you for the moment uh, where somebody's scanning you. They are like there's no heartbeat you know Mm. you you wait and this had all happened in one day of no it's just something I don't I'm not I'm not connected to it too this is a little life and it's a little life that I want it's a little life in that time when Matt came to the hospital he had somehow in his mind turned around to what were we thinking Mm. and it was a life that we'd wanted and were losing within that 24 hour period and I remember the the nurse saying, do you want to see it in one of those kidney-shaped cardboard container? Yeah. And I just like, no, I don't. And Matt, he just said, yes, I do. And that really, we'd known each other 42 days at this point, and he did. And he walked uh, into the brashly lit toilets and closed the door, and I could just hear him crying in a way that I don't think I've heard him cry since. And I think that was when we married each other. I think it was holding hands in a very confusing, conflicting, Mm. dark, messy, unclear moment. And I think it was a recognition of people have this sense of, you know, marriage, mortgage, babies. It was like, God, life just isn't that linear. It's not that binary. And we're sort of led to believe there's this line that you follow and actually it's everything other than that and actually you can marry someone in a moment that doesn't have all the wedding paraphernalia frippery crowds and confetti Mm. what was it like moving forward from that miscarriage it united us in a way that i think after 42 days you don't expect to feel Mm. so anchored by someone And we knew we wanted children more than anything. And it gave us time for self-reflection. I went from being a 24-year-old who quite flippantly booked an abortion appointment to a 24-year-old who absolutely never wanted to miscarry again and wanted to be with this man and wanted to do whatever it was to make that work, however messy or stressy it was. I wanted in and recognising marriage isn't... (laughs) 
the dress. It's mm-hmm. not even getting married. It's just feeling that sense of ugliness with someone else or yourself. Mm. You know, I think that's something that's important. It's not about having someone else, but recognizing what you're like when you're broken and how you piece yourself back together again. And we did that together and we now have two girls. But I do go back to that. And I think I felt shame writing it in the book that people would judge me for having wanted an abortion in the first place. But yes, it's messy. Life is messy. And also, I think it's very easy, isn't it, for someone to cast judgment when they're not walking in those shoes. No one knows what you were like then. No one knows what your thought process was. You know, it's it's a very personal thing. And it's something that we can't throw judgment over because we don't know someone's circumstance. or, And also, you can't make someone have... A child and that responsibility is a very personal thing. And it made me clear on never judging anyone Mm. from there on in. You know, that's why I I struggle with breastfeeding, bottle feeding face. Are you a helicopter parent? Are you a tiger mum? Or are you this, are you that? Are you a sharenter? Are you not a sharenter? Like these divisions, it's so much more nuanced than Mm. that. How long was it before you tried for a baby? We then were together for five years. We got married in 2010 and then, you know, started as Matt calls it bonking with intent, which is just <laughs> a really lovely way of uh, thinking of procreation. Um, yeah, sort of soon after it's time. Uh, you had another two miscarriages. Yes. So I think it was, again, that assumption that, oh, I've got pregnant it's going to happen. It's just Were you worried us. that the first time, well, the second time you fell pregnant about having had the miscarriage before? Was that something that played on your mind? I think because it was the first time I thought maybe I was just a bit unlucky mm. and that I was having, well, trying, which I always think is a really uncomfortable term, isn't it? Just, <laughs> we're trying. Don't make me think of you having sex. <laughs> it's not a nice thought. Happy place. It's a happy place. Um, and yeah, and it just didn't work. Uh, it didn't work. We, we had two miscarriages before we had our eldest. And I think, again, it was that recognition of marriage, relationships, whoever you're with, whether you're on your own or not, it is ugly and uncomfortable at times and um, heartbreaking. Mm. And my sister currently with her wife, um, she's just bought 17 grand's worth of Danish spunk. <laughs> you know, like she she just laid it down and talking to her about the process of yeah. trying to find a father for your child and going to add that sperm to cart and then realising that sperm is sold out mm. and you've thought that, you know, there's been a head space of that's the father of my child and some internet person is saying it's sold out. Mm. And, you know, it, it, there's yeah. emotion. However you come to it, there is trauma, I think, emotion, expectation, and often it falls short of that. And, um Yes. So I think, you know, we were prepared to a certain extent, but now I'm going through it with my sister in a very different way. Heartbreak is there, I think, across the board. Mm -hmm. And it's how you piece together those fragments of what can feel like your broken relationship at times. I think that's the thing. Uh, There were times when Matt and I broke together and then started separating. We were like two ships going in the same direction, but very much apart. Mm. And Matt's post that he wrote about miscarriage from a male perspective really was the breakthrough for me because he wrote at the end of it, I don't let trying stop you from living. Mm. And I think that was something we'd forgotten. We had become so consumed by being a family, which we thought was, you know, 2.4 kids, white picket fence, 
there was this utopian vision of what we thought a family was when actually we were a family. Mm. Your family can be yourself. It can be, you know, like my sister and her wife, they have Dolly the dog. And they're like, <laughs> she's our family. Yeah. And actually when we gave up trying to be this family was when we actually got pregnant with our eldest. We'd stopped trying. Mm. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. What was it like at your first scan with May? Oh, God, I get quite... <laughs> Just before it happened, uh, my close friend Pippa, who is my eldest's godmother, she had got pregnant and she had invited me round and she said, I uh, just want to say I'd love you to be my daughter's godmother. And at that point, it was just another woman giving uh, a woman who was struggling to have children or might not have children a role in a child's life. Mm. That was the moment where I got lifted out of a fog. We, you know, the hashtag women supporting women gets bandied about everywhere, but that for me was it. Yeah. And ironically, I was pregnant at the time, so I didn't know, but I had given up trying and I felt I had a role in another child's life and it was given to me by a close friend mm. and I felt incredibly lucky. Yeah. So then when we found out that I was pregnant, I didn't tell anyone until I was almost six months. Really? Um, I hid it. I mean, people knew, but I was so nervous about confirming it in any way. Because you've and had three miscarriages by that point. Like, I only had one miscarriage before Buzz. And even now, every pregnancy, I literally, every wipe, every, every day feels like... You, I worried the whole pregnancy. Yeah, 
you you're checking that the gusset of your pants mm. or that first sort of pinky stain of yeah. blood almost in a cycle like even if you don't need to go yep. to the toilet you're any cramp and there's that mm-hmm. fear and i think we've spoken about this quite a bit uh, mm. behind the scenes is nothing can prepare you for the pregnancy anxiety yeah you know what it is to lose a child and I remember going into the um, scanning room and I'd got to the point there where I was expecting the worst. I was just expecting a darkness, this dark abyss of lifelessness and having to manage almost the OB's discomfort, you know, wanting to make her feel less sad about the fact she has to tell a woman there's no child there or the child's heartbeat is not there. And the moment I heard my eldest's heartbeat, I was in another world of not expecting anything. And then suddenly it was just that flutter that I'd never heard before in the three pregnancies we'd had before. I'd never got to the point of hearing a heartbeat. So it was, to this day, like I can remember it now, sorry. It was just, oh my God. Like we've got to the first base and uh, we hadn't got out of the starting blocks until then. And um, nothing uh, will ever compare to the surprise of hearing life, I think, at that point. Um, and I wanted to hold on to it in a very secret way for a very long time in case somebody took it away from me. Do you feel like you ever relaxed in that pregnancy? No. No, not at all. I get nervous for friends, even Mm. friends who haven't gone through anything. I um, want to protect them because I said it a couple of times in features that I've written about this, is that there is that clinical side to miscarriage from the medical side. And I have nothing against uh, doctors, nurses, anyone who works in that profession. Mm. But I think the language just never helped. It was just an inviolable fetus. It was told to flush that inviolable fetus down the toilet if it happened. It's this lifeless embryo when actually it was somebody, it was a person I'd imagined a nursery for. It was a person and uh If you know what it is to love someone, you know what it is to lose someone. It's no more complicated. Um, And you actually said something really interesting in the book, because after May you had another two miscarriages. So we'll we'll say it now so that we don't have to go back to miscarriage. (laughs) Um, uh, And you said something interesting, and you said that the fifth miscarriage was, was just as heartbreaking as the first. Yeah. Which is... Obvious, but no one would. Do you know what I mean? It's that it's at least a loss is a loss. A loss. It's grief. It's absolutely grief. And as you know, you know, I think this is why we get on because mm. there's a sort of slightly dark common denominator where you, uh, you know, miscarriage doesn't discriminate. It is across womankind. I have united with. So many women from so many different backgrounds all just seeking some acknowledgement that this is grief, Mm. regardless of status, regardless of who you are, where you are. Uh, It has taken something from you Mm. and it is absolutely someone is something. And it's not something, it's someone. And you need to grieve. And whether it's your first miscarriage or your fifth miscarriage, nothing good starts with at least you can get pregnant at least you have a child it's the difference between empathy and sympathy Mm. 
sympathy says at least and empathy just sits in the hole with you. Cracks Your mum sat in that hole with you. Yes. When we had our fifth miscarriage, my mum came round and and I just said, we need to uh, redo the kitchen floor. Like we were living in a fixer-upper and the kitchen floor had like five layers of lino on it. <laughs> and I was just, it felt like the thing I could do uh, in that moment. I was miscarrying and I had to wait for the fetus to pass and I needed to focus on something. And it was 4.30 p.m. on a Saturday. And Matt, my husband, he said, we can't do this now. And my mum looked at me and she goes, we will do this now. <sighs> and she went to B&Q, got loads of the gear. And we spent, I think we unlinoed uh, that <laughs> kitchen floor till four in the morning together, <laughs> just silently chipping away at lino and finding... Uh, newspaper clips from like 1974 from the Waltham Echo that they put between the lino <laughs> and going, oh my God, mum, can you imagine this happened in like 1974? And what she did was exactly that, was she sat in the hole with me realising she, I didn't want to be alone, I didn't want to talk, but I needed to focus on something mm. and that kitchen floor looked spectacular the next day. <laughs> but your mum, when I read that part of the book, it really got me because I think... It's one thing to experience it yourself and, and lose your child, but then to see your daughter losing a child, child and to want to protect her from it, but not knowing how to, so sitting in that hole. is a double layer of grief. And mm. I think, because um, she was grieving for the grandchildren that she had in her mind as well. It's, yeah. it's multifaceted. And it was only when we started talking about when I started going through miscarriage that she told me about the two boys that she lost before my sister and I, and she lost them very late at six and seven months. Wow. Uh, and they had names and she said, you know, you were going to be Mark and Paul. <laughs> um, and I, and I was like, which one was I? Mark, <laughs> Mark and Paul. And we had brothers that we lost as well in that. And while it was very dark and while it was very sad and while being q has never quite seen anything like it <laughs> <laughs> as we unlined that floor it opened up a connection to my mum and I in that loss as mm -hmm. it has done with you mm -hmm. as it has done with strangers on the internet who only a couple of weeks ago a woman who'd been messaging me saying that she had had eight miscarriages and had lost entire hope and she slid into my dms and sent me a photo of her newborn son last oh. week and I don't know her. I don't know her personally. I just know that she has been through something that I can empathise with so mm. hugely. And I just was standing outside Tesco just bawling, yeah. just seeing that little face. It's hope, I think, yeah. is what I wanted, actually. I didn't want anything other than hope. And I don't resent. I didn't resent. I found it hard. I don't resent anybody who had a child at that point when I was miscarrying. I just um, needed people to sit in the hole, mm. whether it's like planting seeds or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like attacking a really rank kitchen floor. What was it like meeting May for the first time? Oh, just relief. I think you get that blind relief of there's something, there's something. And I've I think it was like I'd got her here. I think there was that sense of I felt like I wasn't working for so long yeah. and that I my house was broken and I felt like I've got her here and 
it was quite terrifying because she looks just like Matt. Like she is basically this like Celtic, heavy-browed, Aberdonian face on a small female, and breastfeeding that is fucking terrifying. Like I was like, Dad, Matt, get off the bitty, Matt, get off the bitty. Um, so that was a bit of a learning curve, and then the second one looks like my dad. So really? breastfeeding that was another layer of. Daddy? I mean, you were amazing at breastfeeding and keeping it real on Instagram. Oh, I don't know. You like, were. I was just in a postnatal fug, to be honest, and just putting it all out there in a way that wasn't good for anyone. <laughs> but, you know. But, you know, when you're just like, how do you normalise breastfeeding like that? You just breastfeed. You just you just do it. And I, But that was the only thing, actually, I remember thinking in my mind was don't mm. make this a thing. Don't have big discussions yeah. around breastfeeding. Yeah, and feeding. you never did it. You just um, did it. It was just like, that's just how it, she's feeding a child. And she's still talking to us about completely different talking things. Talking about something else. Um, well, that, yes, that was, that was the only thing I remember thinking was this can't be made into a thing just for my own mm. sake. Is that if I have her on the boob, because they're breastfeeding... It's just breastfeeding all the time. The only thing I hoped to come out of that was to make people feel confident maybe in breastfeeding anywhere, everywhere. If you yeah. feel comfortable, mm-hmm. don't feel you have to whap the bap out. Yeah. Uh, just do what you feel comfortable with. It's part of life. And I will be potentially sitting in a seats in Sainsbury's breastfeeding whilst doing the shop or mm-hmm. I'll be on a panel and she'll need the boob and I'll be able to still use my brain and talk about the gender pay gap whilst, you know, there's a kid on the nork um so it wasn't really strategic in any way but it was i felt like this is the only chance i'm going to get to communicate this part of the journey the mothering journey and no big discussion around it and i think that the only overwhelming sense i got from people following was oh it's just so in the background it's not a thing so it's made me just feel like it's not a thing it's just a thing we do like why would you not want to keep your kid fed when you had may were you surprised at what motherhood actually was because of what you were seeing? Not necessarily on social media, although I think for me, social media was a thing because all I was seeing back then was perfection. Yeah. Were you surprised with everything else that came with it? I think the biggest surprise was probably meeting a lot of those who I perceived to be perfect. Mm. You know, I mean, one lady who's become a very good friend of mine, I remember the first post I saw of her was um, holding a newborn and she was wearing a a linen white caftan. (laughs) And I just thought, how? How are you doing this? Because I was still like bleeding into a tenor lady pad the size of a hamster cage you know and I was just like this this doesn't I don't understand this is not the motherhood I'm experiencing Mm. and so my judgment then was of the perfection yeah of this woman and I actually then got to know her and realized that actually while I struggled maybe with seeing what she was putting out behind those nine tiles was a woman breaking really breaking and using those images to piece herself back together again. So I think it's very easy to think in quite a binary way about it, like, Mm. oh, this perfect feed. Actually, when you look deeper, can represent bigger issues. I certainly know I've put things up that haven't represented necessarily the truth because I've been trying to just piece together the fragments of my mind and some continuity has helped, you know, at times. So... Yes, I struggled with those images, Mm. but then I started looking behind the images and started seeing the broken pieces of other women. Yeah. Um, My next book is a series of letters around motherhood. 
So I'm asking people, if you uh, could write a letter mm-hmm. uh, around motherhood <laughs> to anyone, who would you write it to and what would it say? Wow, that's a mm. good one. It would probably be to my dad, I think. Can I write it to him? You can write it okay. to him. Yeah, <laughs> of course you can. <laughs> no, but just you saying your dad made me, my, my tears come back to my eyes. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be my dad because... I think everything he fought, like he had a choice. Uh, Him and his brother had the same background, the same start in life. And he really fought hard for my sister and I to have everything I think I've been able to articulate. He's given me that confidence by, um, I think, recognising he didn't have very much at all. And he has laid down not just groundwork for us to feel that confidence and that security. He cemented it. And he is the person that said to me, which is why I struggle with the influencer follower dynamic. He said, never look up to people and never look down on people. Speak to the queen as you would the rubbish man and focus straight ahead uh, and never elbow anyone out of the way. Mm. Um, And I think... That's kind of him in a nutshell, really, is that he's a very neutral character, but that doesn't mean he's not standout. It's just he has never, ever been pompous. He's never shown me a side of him that I felt, oh, that's a bit uncomfortable. He thinks she's better than so-and-so. Mm. And that, I think, has really, I've held on to and have really held on to telling my girls is, you know, don't look up to people, don't look down on people, look straight ahead don't trample people to get there. I think it's very easy to feel you have to. And to recognise he's never striven for fame. He's never striven for money. Mm-hmm. He has simply wanted security for us. And his joy has been in eating Benedict's chocolate mints. And I'll find, uh, you know, when somebody's eaten so many of them that they've created like a kind of homogenous lump of foil, minty foil, that will be like the size of a fist that I'll find shoved down the side of the sofa. And he's found his joy. He loves a Benedict's <laughs> mint and he loves chatting to Jerry the Postman. Mm. And uh, I think my letter would be to thank him for helping me find my focus and to recognise that that's looking straight ahead. That's lovely. Um, and we will finish the podcast on you finishing these three sentences. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Being a mum means... Recognising that you will potentially jiggle one tit in public to check if there's milk in it and there'll be a 21-year-old boy looking at you wondering what the fuck you're doing and not blinking, just jiggling. <laughs> I so know what you mean. It's so funny. Oh, is it this one? Is it this one? And you oh, really God, go for it. I on. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> having children I I have realized the importance of saying things to strangers with no embarrassment so whether it is I love your shoes or oh but he's really sweet look at that smile 
articulate what's in your mind, even if you're embarrassed, because it has nine times out of ten the potential to make someone else feel less shit. Yeah, it's that little piece of connection, isn't it? And we go to say it. All of us, I think, get yeah. to that point of going to say the thing, like, oh, I love her shoes. Or, mm. oh, no, God, it would be embarrassing, you know, to say that. Uh, but I think it's that. And recognising that when I was postnatally depressed and recognising that it was something and that my friend simply said to me, do these three things every day, turn your phone off, walk to the post office and listen to a song. And it was like those little things, a bit of fresh air, yeah. just getting out and having a purpose when you are in that dark fog, just repeat those things, those three things. And she would check in every day. Mm. And I think it's checking in on each other, on WhatsApp, in real life, while you're jiggling at it, whatever it is. Did you have postnatal depression first time around or second? Second <clears throat> time round. Oh, really? Yeah, second time round. And didn't really realise it was happening. So... When you say about all the Insta stories I was doing and how I was really showing the raw side of motherhood, I shouldn't have really been online, mm. if I'm being honest. I look back on it and I just think that's quite a broken woman trying to find herself in the underbelly of the internet. And I don't think that's very healthy. Mm. Did you, did you, literally talking about it helped? I think it did and it didn't at great cost maybe to my own recovery. Right. It helped in connecting to people, but... I'm self-deprecating. That's always been my emotional crutch. And that is not good always to just continually self-deprecate and try and bring the humour and make everyone feel comfortable. And it's all great. And when I was breaking behind the scenes, and that's why I come back to what you said, is how did you feel like, you know, with there was so little honesty in parenting around when we were sort of first coming into it. And it's like, but I just don't think you ever know what's going on behind the scenes. Mm. And that's really been where I have not taken anything online at face value. It is a binary medium. It's a photo. It's a caption. It is not a person. It's not a feeling. It's not a human. That has really shifted how I see people online and offline. Because mm. often those who are fully together with a slick of pillar box red lipstick on and kind of chatting quite manically, which was me sometimes are um, breaking just as much as those who aren't leaving the house. It's, yep. Again, I think postnatal depression doesn't discriminate. Mm -hmm. The last one. Okay. I'm happy when? I'm happy when on our really badly stained sofa, you know, like, what do you think? More happy endings? <laughs> God, no. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, I'm no savage. <laughs> um, and uh, we're sitting watching... Paw Patrol with a kid in each nook oh. and Cheerios about our person, <laughs> wondering, praying for Paw Patrol to end, but equally in the same moment, wishing it to never end. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been lovely. Hold up. 